I think the Twins might need some freelance starting pitching help. <laughs> yeah, well, Do they offer that on websites like Guru.com? Fiverr.com. Fiverr? J- Terry Ryan, just Google Fiverr.com and see if there's anybody out there offering their services to be a major league starting pitcher. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and done! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. One, two, three, check it. Check one, two, three. Don't don't say check it like you're a mid-90s rapper. Check it. Yo, check, check, one. Well, I did was, spend... And then I was going to freelance and... Or freestyle. Free, what did I yeah. say? Freelance. You did say freelance. A freelance is like a a beat a beat writer's way. Of Phil Mackey's resume: applying for freelance rap gigs. Uh, is there such thing as a freelance rapper? Like I, in, instead of getting a, you know, you have a wedding. Instead of having a DJ come out and just play songs off an i an iTunes oh player. Oh my gosh! I I don't know. Um, I would be interested if there is an industry sort of developing around that. You let me know. I can either be your hype man, or we can both just sort of be freelance rappers <laughs> and see where the career path takes us. Actually, uh, as we do often on this podcast, awkward segue to Twins. Yes, okay. I think the Twins might need some freelance starting pitching help. <laughs> yeah, well. Do they offer that on websites like Guru.com? Fiverr.com. Fiverr? J- Terry Ryan, just Google Fiverr.com and see if there's anybody out there offering their services to be a major league starting pitcher. We've got graphic designers on Fiverr.com. You've got computer animators. You've got developers, and you've got starting pitchers. Right. <laughs> Kevin Correa is on Fiverr.com. I can't imagine that there exists that avenue to add starting pitching, and other teams hadn't already capitalized on it. But on the off chance that it does exist and the market's not already saturated um, or, or, or spent, the Twins should – at least look into it. I'm not saying it's going to work, but, hey, it's worth a try at this point, right? Well, um, yes, because here are the nine pitchers who've made at least one start for the Twins this year. This is actually better than it would have been if we had done this on Saturday because Saturday and Sunday they got two pretty good starts from Irvin Santana, Ricky Nolasco. I'm going to give you an order from best ERA to worst. These are the nine. Irvin Santana, 4.83. See, you could probably just stop there and you've already made your point. Oh, I'm going to keep making it. (laughs) Ricky Nolasco, 4.91. The two guys eating up the big bucks, though, at the top of that. So that's what you want to see. Pat Dean, 5.54. Tyler Duffy, 5.56. Tommy Malone, 5.9. I'm sorry, 5.79. Phil Hughes, 5.95. Kyle Gibson, 6.06. Jose Barrios, 10.20. 
Alex Meyer, 12.27. This is in a pitcher's renaissance era where every team has Chris Archer, Madison Bumgarner, Garrett Cole, all these flame-throwing... The Twins can barely find another Brad Radke. It's really, really sad to watch. Yeah, it's bad. Um, the the biggest problem, and I, I think we alluded to this on last podcast, um, certainly on your radio show this week, we talked about the idea that it's bad if your starting rotations ERA is bad, which the Twins, I think the last time I checked, they were 14th in the 15-team American League. Wait, who, wait, someone's worse than that? I wanted to say that the Rangers had a terrible wow. starting staff. That's, that's amazing. I'd, I'd, honestly, I'd have to go look that up. I'm put on the spot a little bit here. Um, and I've had a cup of coffee, so that's always and a dangerous a place drinks. to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what they should try giving away. Instead of giving away, like, injured player on the disabled with sure. bobblehead, right. just give away full <laughs> bottles of alcohol. Yeah. And it doesn't even, you know what, usually it'd be 21 and over, but who cares? Just everyone gets a bottle of Kharkov right. suffering, in a brown paper bag. Suffering Twins fans, uh, the, the giveaway on Friday nights. Uh, um. So I'd, I'd have to go back and look exactly at that ERA. I know their bullpen is 14th out of 15. That uh, That is also bad, by the way, compounded by the problem that starters can't get deep, so you need more out of your bullpen. It's a bit of a circular relationship Which there. means you need 13 pitchers, and you have to squeeze a position player off the roster, which is why Oswaldo Arce is not on the team anymore. But yeah. we'll get to that, too. As yeah, well. we'll have to get to that in a second. Um, the, the biggest problem with it, of course, is – not only is your starting rotation bad, but you're paying them a lot of money to be bad. And that ties up. It hamstrings your flexibility. It means you can't go buy a reliever in the winter if you have these self-imposed spending limits. Or, for whatever reason, you think someone like, um, uh, just to pull the free agent examples from this winter, Tony Sip. If you think, well, he's not quite a three years and $18 million pitcher. And I've heard, I don't know if this is true, this is what I've heard from industry sources that somebody like Tony Sipp would have needed more money to join a team like the Twins than to just re-sign in Houston. And I, and I believe that. I'm inclined sure. to believe that's true. Antonio Bastardo was the same way, who, by the way, is not having a great He's season. having a bad year, and we advocated for him far enough to the point that one time we titled a podcast um, – Antonio Bastardo, will you join our podcast? <laughs> we, we, we are going to start the Bastardo cast. So while the, the twins, touche, we were wrong about right. Bastardo. You were right about, well, at least up until like a week ago, Fernando, Fernando Abad, Abad, whose ERA has gone up about three full points. But So, uh, look, the, the problem with the starting rotation being so expensive is it forces you into these decisions of cost per production at other places. And... Frankly, we shouldn't leave out Joe Maurer either. The fact that he's making $23 million does back you into a little cost-per-production equation where if you – let's say the Twins had 24 players and there were so many on minimum salaries that for those 24 guys, they had only committed $50 million. Suddenly you're not wringing your hands over – Boy, what if we overpay for a multi-year reliever? Which I think, generally speaking, the market has done. Yeah, I think people have overpaid for um, middle or middle-to-late relievers. But so what? Most of those teams look at it and say, well, based on just like the straight math and economics, we're probably overpaying by three years and about three or four million dollars and if you're really in a spot where you're sweating that then that sucks for your organization it's too bad that you have to worry about the price point 
for players who aren't going to make more than $20 million, mm-hmm. right? You should just be able to say, oh, yeah, he'll solve a problem, and he'll solve it for less than this. And, I mean, mathematically, is he maybe a little overpaid? Sure, fine. Guess what? We've got the problem solved. When the Twins pay so much to their starting rotation and so much to Joe Maurer, i got to think, even though they won't publicly use this as an excuse, they won't throw their under, owner under the bus, surprise, surprise, I would not be surprised if they are having to make the calculated decision Okay, this is what we think this guy's worth, so this is what we can afford to pay him. Not, here's what we think he's worth, and we're willing to stretch a little bit beyond that if it solves a need. The Twins, frankly, just didn't address all of their needs this winter. I can't remember. Did we go over uh, the number you uncovered on last week's podcast? I think pitching? I maybe mentioned it, but it's worth bringing up again for, for any listener who who didn't listen to that podcast. We're getting new ones all the time, of course. You know this is a very popular Twins podcast. Especially now that we're on podcast one. That's bunch huge. Of, bunch of those Twins fans out, the Snowbirds out in Arizona, although they're probably not in Arizona right no. now. It's like 120. <laughs> My dad's the only one who doesn't <laughs> go away from Arizona. He, he winters in Arizona and summers And in then Arizona. calls me and just complains about, like, there's hikers <laughs> dying in the mountains right now. It's so hot. I'm like, why are you still there? That's brutal. Come back here for three months. Evacuate. Uh, Minnesota is beautiful in the summer. Um the the numbers that I had ran, and this was at the time of the column, so of course these are changing all the time, but because of the huge sample that we're talking about, it doesn't change that drastically. You mentioned two starts over the weekend from Big Irv and Slick Ricky. They lowered their ERAs and, by extension, lowered the pitching staff ERAs. But over the six-year sample that I'm talking about, it barely made a dent. They also collected a check which also barely made a dent. But here were the numbers at the time of the column that I wrote. Basically an indictment on Terry Ryan's ability to go locate and acquire quality free agent starting pitching. At the time I wrote the column, Ryan had spent something like $85.5 million over that six-year spread for 1,550 innings, cumulatively, Cumulatively, those starters that he signed to free agent contracts combined to have a 4.75 ERA, which is the starting point for any conversation about why the Twins have been crap for mm-hmm. five, six years. They're no, starting pitching, just not good enough. Bad defense contributes to that, but it's sure. It's, but they play off each other. And There's pitching, a lot that contributes to it. And pitching is largely responsible. Now, the league average ERA is like 4.04 over that same stretch. Yeah. So, so we're talking almost a foot. You're paying, and and coincidentally, the 1500 inning mark that you that sort of sure. coincidentally has added up over that period. That is also almost exactly the number of innings that a team's pitching staff will throw in any given year. Sure. So it makes it really easy to contextualize. Okay, so you're talking about a full year's worth of innings for a pitching staff, and you're talking about eighty. Would you say eighty five million dollars? Eighty five and a half at the time of the column. And you're paying for an ERA that's almost a full run above league average. Yeah, it's bad. when you could probably go find five Tyler Duffy somewhere. You know, some non heralded prospect that could give you a four and a half ERA for five hundred thousand dollars. Right. And then go spend the rest of that money on a bullpen or on um, whatever a, a, a shortstop or something. Yeah, and I wouldn't advocate going that way. I think you do need to spend some money on your rotation. But then here comes the other shoe to drop you need to spend that money wisely and whether it's luck or skill or any combination of factors you need to hit on those big contracts and frankly put the twins have swung and missed or just hit on some of the contracts sure sure they're hitting on none of the pitching contracts right 
And they've gone out, look at some of the other contracts. They hit on one year the Josh Willingham deal. They've just been, I, I used to criticize them because I remember Terry Ryan saying one time, we're not huge players in free agency, number one, because we're not going to swim with the big fish financially, and that's just, I get that. It's a non-salary cap league. You don't have a great TV deal. You just you don't have the resources that other teams have, for the most part, in that top eight or so revenue teams. But the second thing he said was we're just not as comfortable signing players to long-term deals for millions of dollars that we haven't seen come up through our organization, that we haven't been able to really get to know. Sure. You just don't know. There's There's a reason why players are available because – Either the other team didn't want them or they're going to be expensive or some combination of the two. And I used to criticize them for not being more comfortable evaluating players outside their organization. And while I still criticize them for that, now I understand why they haven't done more of it. They're not, they're not good at it. Yeah. And I don't know. I think if you're, if you're running a mid-market team and you don't have the luxury of whiffing on some of those deals and just being wrong. Like the Dodgers can whiff on Scott Casimir and it's fine because they can just go spend $50 million in a trash bin and start over with the next player. It's oh, Carl expensive. Crawford, whatever. We're going to pay you $20 million to go away. Right. It's an expensive mistake mm-hmm. for a team like that, but it's not life altering. If you're the Twins or if you're the Royals or any team in that Pittsburgh Pirates that from, from 10th to 20th in payrolls, You've got to nail drafting and developing. You've got to nail dump trades where you're, and by that I mean a veteran player in his prime at a peak value of some kind. You have to assess when they're at their peak, when they have value, and then nail those trades for the most part, and then supplement what you have with that core with good signings and free agency. And the Twins have done very little of any of that in the last six years. Yeah. You know, it's like we're getting to the point where a couple of years ago with Terry Ryan, you could look and say, Respect the job he did the first time around. He's more of a slow builder. Let's let this thing play out. When you see teams like the Cubs, who have ramped up their payroll again, and I get it, they're on a different level payroll-wise, and the Royals, who had 90 losses when you were losing 90 games, and now they've blown by you in the left lane, and they've won World Series in the case of the Royals, or the Cubs might win a World Series this year, and they flirted with one last year. It's hard to justify patience and, hey, everyone calm down. Young players need to get adjusted. It's been six years. It's yeah. Been six years. And if they had not had a winning record last year, I think we'd all look at this thing very differently. 83 wins was a pleasant surprise. Keep in mind, as I said all winter, 83 wins is four more than you lost. Right. What if it was instead of what if it was 79 and 83 last exactly. year? Exactly. I think our perception would be different. Maybe they wouldn't have been expected to be flirting with the postseason like they were this spring. But I got to tell you, if their internal expectations were to compete for a playoff spot, and it has blown up in their face this spectacularly, yeah, there's some bad luck involved, but there's also some bad process. It's pretty hard to dance around that topic. I, I think there's only so much you can say about, man, this really deviated from our expectations until you go back and reassess. Well, then your expectations were wrong. I mean, you, they're just. This is more than three standard deviations below what I expected from the Twins. Mm -hmm. So my expectations, I would then question. I would say, all right, well, I guess I wasn't in in the, the right error zone. I was too optimistic about what the Twins would do this season. Um, The Twins have to do some of that too. They have to look inward and figure out why it went wrong. 
uh, more importantly, how do you fix it and how do you fix it quickly? Yeah. Well, we were, I got hammered for, for saying some of this stuff just day after day. As soon as they DFA'd Oswaldo Arcia, and I know we'll find out sometime in the, in the coming days, maybe even when you listen to this podcast, we'll find out if another team wants him or not, if they swing a trade, if another team claims him, or if he just goes unclaimed and they put him back in their minor league system and he's off the 40 man. But I think people have kind of misconstrued, and maybe it's my fault for not clarifying. They've misconstrued my stance on Arcia. I'm not defending Arcia as the second coming of David Ortiz. I don't. I think he's David Ortiz light. He's going to mash the right kind of pitching. He's still fairly young. I think a change of scenery could help him. He doesn't really have a defensive position, much like David Ortiz, that he's good at anyways. But I think it's it's not about Arcia in a vacuum and, oh, my God, they I can't believe they let go of this guy who's an amazing player and they just don't see it. He's a microcosm for this organization's failures and patterns in in taking a commodity that once had value, whether it's a veteran or or a prospect, and then watching the value decrease or watching them get nothing for something that was valuable time after time and kind of shrugging their shoulders every time and saying, well, blah, blah, blah. And if you just – the process oftentimes goes like this. They possess some kind of a hot commodity. So Arcia two years ago – was a 20-home run guy in a partial season, lit up every level of the minor leagues, and by any measurement in any publication, Baseball America to scouting to whatever, was one of the top 100 or so prospects in baseball, and then showed it on the big league stage as a fantastic power hitter. So it could be that. It could be Denard Spann as a center fielder in the prime of his career. It could be, it could be any number of hot commodities. Part B is hot commodity starts to lose steam or lose momentum. And then the team either sells low or they get something in return that turns out to be another hot commodity that loses value. Alex Meyer is a good example. Or the hot commodity just sinks into oblivion and disappears and disintegrates into dust. I mean, you could sit here and name from Liriano to Gomez to Span to J.J. Hardy to Alex Meyer to Liam Hendricks, who thrived as a reliever last year in Toronto. Delman Young. Delman Young. So, And I'm not saying it's 100% their fault in each of these cases. Sometimes things happen. But when you look at the last six or seven years and you look at commodities they've had that turn into lesser commodities or nothing or fall off, it makes you sort of raise an eyebrow at the culture, the environment, the front office, the organization as a whole. Here's one thing I've been curious about, Arcia, and we've kind of talked it to death. I mean, I, I did a column on it. We talked about it on the radio. I'm sure you've brought it up multiple times um, about it's not so much about Arcia as it is what yes. Arcia represents. Yes. It, it is, man, you've got a good young player, and because your pitching sucks, you have to have an eight-man bullpen, a 13-man pitching staff, and because Danny Santana needed to be activated – so you could get some bench flexibility. You are selling, just completely giving up on a kid like Arcia. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying Arcia will be a good player. I think that he will be. I do too. I think he goes to a team like Oakland, and he's he's the second coming of Brandon Moss. I think he's he can get hit home runs, and he's going to be a platoon guy that turns into a regular DH. Or I don't see any reason just because he sucks in the field that he could not be a 25 home run hitter. I, I fully expect him to hit 25 home runs some season. Whether that's in Minnesota or somewhere else remains to be seen. I just don't get the process of giving up on him. Um, but on your point about hot commodities, this gets a little bit tricky, but it's something that I'm always curious about. And I'll preface it by saying we can't ever know the counterfactual. And what I mean by that is 
when people say, well, if Michael Jordan played in today's era, we wouldn't even think of LeBron as this great player. It's like, you can't know that. First of all, it's kind of a stupid statement to make. But second of all, even if it had some basis in reality, you are just making a, a somewhat educated guess for the purpose of discussion. Now, I like that if it's just a discussion topic, fine. All right, this could be fun. Would the uh, 96 Chicago Bulls beat the 2016 Warriors? That's a fun discussion, but we'll never know. I There's, hate that discussion. But, I know. I'm just I saying. Like, yeah. There are people that it, it can open up avenues to have fun discussions. And um, if you love talking about basketball, it it does create this sort of uh, it's a paradigm shift where we all we just get to make stuff up a little bit. So what I'll say is that you can't know the counterfactual. If the factual is, Arcia has not become a good regular player in the big leagues by age 25. He can't play defense. He's hitting something like 200, and yeah, there's some power, but you watch him at the plate. There's clearly no. He has no idea what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of guessing and looking, hunting for fastballs and hoping he hits it hard somewhere. A lot of hitters on the Twins right Absolutely. now have no idea what they're doing at the plate. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's, maybe it's cultural. So my my question then that that's the factual. The counterfactual would be what if he were somewhere else. My, and that's something that I always get curious about. What if Oswaldo Arcia came up in the Mets organization, or just pick a random team? What if he was drafted by the or signed by the Atlanta Braves? What would he be right now? Would he be a number three hitter who draws enough walks and knows what he's doing at the plate to let that power surface and come out? Would he be good enough by virtue of being forced into playing a corner outfield spot? Would he be good enough to be at least? passable there i mean he's got a decent arm he can run a little bit but he just looks like the little leaguer who's picking dandelions out there you know he you'd like to see the concentration more consistently locked in i don't have an answer but i think it raises an interesting question is oswaldo arcia the reason that arcia is not a regular in the big leagues or does the twins upbringing have anything to do with it i I don't have the answer to that question in fact i think Hitting coach Tom Brunanski has handled him pretty well over the past three years based on my conversations with Brunanski, talking with Arcia, talking with his teammates and stuff like that. But I don't know. You well, have to still wonder. Well, we know, again, I don't know if, if Arcia, it's possible that Arcia in any environment would just be who he is, kind of a space cadet, sort of fidgety at the plate and just just bad at defense. No strike zone discipline, all this stuff. But I do know from a macro perspective, this front office and organization the last five or six years doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt. Right. They just, they just don't. That's they do from early two thousands. I think in when they were losing in 2005, a little bit, they missed the playoffs. They missed the playoffs in 2007 and eight, even though they went to a game 163 in 2008, for the most part, you still looked at them and said, I'll give you a pass because I can see the blueprint here. I can see Joe Maurer in his prime. I can see all the players you've developed and Michael mm-hmm. Kadire. And I, I can I can see. I can see Liriano's coming up. And you could see the process. And somewhere in there from the Bill Smith handoff to Terry Ryan, the process went awry or baseball changed and the Twins didn't. Or the Twins didn't get enough outside influence to help them sort of see where baseball was going and see their blind spots. And just, just getting back to flawed process and what you were saying a few minutes ago about the Arcia decision in a vacuum. Because you're because of your inability to find starting pitching that can stay in a game longer than four or five innings, you feel the need to have thirteen pitchers on your roster. 
which is too many pitchers, I think, in any circumstance. Yeah. Especially when you're almost 30 games below 500. No longer are you just trying to, all right, we got to make sure we have an extra situational lefty over right. here in the seventh Shave inning. Shave down the occasional right. once-a-week run. Like, at this point, number one, it's your fault because you can't find pitching. And number two, it's your fault because you're still putting stock into having a 13th pitcher when, really, you're so far below 500. If your starter is getting lit after two and two-thirds, sorry, bud, you're going to throw 100 pitches. Yeah, tonight. we need 50 more out Because we don't want to have to sacrifice a guy who just turned 25 years old and still has value as a power hitter. And then on the other side of it, you're carrying like five D-League softball players with no position from Miguel Sano yeah. to Oswaldo Arcia to Byung-Ho Park, and you got four utility guys on your roster that probably overlap in some parts, and you're not going to have them all together anyways beyond sure. this year. So it's like all these things go together, and for me, the, the Arcia DFA was – it wasn't as much about Oswaldo Arcia. It was about all these other things that make sure. me question and scratch my head. And it, it, it all kind of culminated with, I don't know, three or four mad spewing tweets right. a couple hours after the move was made. <laughs> Had a, mixed a few drinks. Yeah, I may have got on Twitter. Man, who knows? Yep. Exactly. I will. Let's turn the page to another guy who some people are now questioning the Twins' process, and that's Byron Buxton. But, but first, I want to get to a. Mm, Conspiracy theory, I'll call it. Mm. Last year, it was pretty clear to me who was calling the shots on certain moves. As a as a beat writer, I try to figure out, you know, oh, okay, so they're they're keeping Tim Stoffer still. Whose decision is that? Who could possibly think, oh, okay, well, this starts to make sense. You piece together the puzzle. Who mm-hmm. makes the decisions? And when a roster move, then. Comes up, and it turns out they DFA Tim Stoffer, and it was kind of a, it was mutually agreed upon. That's, I'm not reporting that news that is already out there, I'm sure. Mutually agreed upon, A, just didn't work out, swung and missed on Stoffer, ironically. And, uh, did you catch that? that was, I see, yeah, I got you. I got you there. Yeah. This year, it's become much more difficult for me to decipher who is calling the shots. Who, for example, thought that it was a good idea to keep Kevin Jepsen in the closer's role three weeks after it became obvious he couldn't handle it. He was giving up a hit every game. Go look at, if, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not enraged enough by Tim Sto- or, uh, <laughs> Kevin Jepsen, this year's Tim Stoffer, if you're not enraged enough by the way that the season had broken and Kevin Jepsen remaining in the ninth inning, and you and I bickered about this a little bit last week, Phil, or two weeks ago, go look at his game log and specifically pay attention not just to the runs and the losses and the blown saves category, but look at the hits and walks. Just the vertical column that shows the games in which he had clean innings versus those in which he had at least one base runner of his own doing. It's amazing to me, and it's it's surprising in some ways that he only had a 6 ERA with how bad he had been. And finally, home runs is he allowed? I don't have that offhand. Uh, it's, it's a lot, right? It's, it's like... His home run rate's up, and that'll probably normalize a little bit. But you see the fact that a lot of times he can't get his curveball over for strikes. He wasn't trusting his changeup. Suddenly, then you've got all you're left with is a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. And if you don't know exactly where that's going, 
Big league hitters can turn around See, 95. I do feel like you're walking up to a totaled vehicle right now and critiquing the paint job right, on the yeah. back left door handle. Well, a blinker clearly wasn't working or is not working now. <laughs> it's it's inoperable. I mean, I wouldn't drive this car. That's the thing. I mean, <laughs> right. So I, I have a really hard time discussing closer on sure. this particular sure. team. My only question. I don't want to patronize you or anything. My only point then becomes who was calling that shot? If, if that's really Eddie Gordado. Um, Neil Allen at the time and Paul Molitor sitting there saying, yep, you know what, he's going to get this straightened out. Then that's just a stupid decision. But on the flip side of that coin, if it's Terry Ryan and his staff saying, man, this guy's going to walk in free agency this year. We'd like to get a little something for him in a trade. Keep throwing him out there. He's obviously going to regress to the mean, come back down to earth in terms of giving up hits, walks, uh, home runs. He'll start to straighten it out. He'll tack on a few saves to his total from last year. Suddenly, he'll have a little more value. Okay, then that makes sense. I can totally get on board with that saying, lost season anyway, might as well have that guy closing some games so he can up his value. Um, But if you're trying to win games in the short term, it was, in my opinion, pretty plainly a stupid decision to keep him in the closer's role. That leads me to Arcia. The long-term play is keep Arcia. And it's not ambiguous. And probably play him as often as you can this Give year. Him so there is so there's no ambiguity about right. whether or not because they might say, oh, there's there's no ambiguity over whether we don't think he's a major league player every day. But no, there, there is, is there is ambiguity. There is ambiguity because he rakes against right-handed pitching and his career weighted runs uh, weighted runs created plus, which sort of normalizes for average hitters and the hitting environment, the run scoring environment, all of that stuff mm-hmm. is. Almost exactly 100. I'd have to go check what it was at the time he was DFA'd. But he was right around 100, which means yeah. valuable hitter. Against, against right-handed pitching, Arcia... It's more than 100. Arcia is... I think, he's, I think he has about 650 plate appearances in his career against right-handed pitching. So about a full season's worth. Sure. And we're talking 35 home runs, 30, 35 home runs. Yeah. I think it's And an OPS over 800. Yeah. We're talking about a guy that you would for sure put in the lineup every day against right. a right-handed pitcher. Meanwhile, you watch him struggle against lefties. You watch him struggle in the field. You watch him lose his plate discipline, make yeah. stupid decisions at the plate. And that's where the ambiguity is introduced. I'm not sure which of those players he is, but the long-term play is obvious, right, Phil? I mean, I think we're on the same side of the fence here. The long-term play is obviously put him in an outfield corner or DH him and send Byung-Ho Park to Rochester and figure out, can Arcia play? Who is he? Where will he hit in the future of a lineup? Does he even belong? And guess what? If he's terrible for the rest of this season, then... DFM or non-tender, whatever you want to do in the winter, then fine, you at figured least, it out. At least the chapter has been written, and you can you can go on a little bit. Not that they not that they have any guilt, anyways. Right. But you can you can right. move you can they move should. forward guilt free. They should have some guilt, but you, they. I mean, right now, not. I'm I'm telling you, some he's going to get picked up. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll come on the podcast next week and say, "Oh, it looks like he cleared waivers," and no one in the league thinks he has value. But right, he reeks of Oakland A's to me. I mean, sure. he screams Oakland A's. Or Toronto, maybe. Right. Some Someone, team just go pick him up and turn him into a masher. Yes. Someone's going to platoon him, get him right, and he's going to be Brandon Moss 2.0. That's That leads me to my conspiracy theory, which is the long-term play. So if you are sort of general manager, front office type, you want to figure that out. If you're a manager, sick of a guy taking bad at-bats and making your team worse by being in the lineup... Um, whether you have questions about his work ethic or the way he approaches it, any of that stuff, or that he's just kind of a goofball, 
that to me is a short-term decision to send him out while you keep eight pitchers, while you add Danny Vol- or uh, Danny Santana back. That's the part I don't get. I know Santana adds a little bit more defensively. He can play center field. He can play shortstop in a pinch. But it's hard for me to sit here and argue that Danny Santana is a great outfielder. He's just not a train wreck like Arcia mm-hmm. has been. But to compare them as a hitter and to say, well, Santana adds versatility, Arcia is unusable. He's, we don't need to protect him. We don't need to hang around. I, I, that doesn't add up to me. I don't, I don't get how the math works there. I don't see how you could say Santana has value, Arcia doesn't. I know they're at a little bit different points in their careers. They're obviously different players. Uh, but if you're looking at 2014 Santana and being blinded by the fact that he had just an improbably great year, and meanwhile you're looking at Arcia's 2015, 2016 and saying, eh, not much of a player. Short-sighted approach to me makes me wonder, did the manager pull the trigger on this or did Terry Ryan? Either way, I think that it's a mistake, but that's my conspiracy theory. General manager comes in and says, here would be three guys you can send out if we're going to make room for Santana to get activated. Manager makes the short-term decision. I need to win games. I need to save some face. We got to salvage this season. Doesn't matter, man. If you there's no you, salvaging this season. It's o- it's over. There's no there's nothing. There's no move that should be made for this season right now. If you nothing. lose 101 games or 95 games, it ain't gonna matter. Do you feel different about the way that went down? There's a range right now. Because you shouldn't. Even if you play 500 ball the rest of the season. Which, in which case, I think you'd still lose well over 90. I think if you played it's five, bad. what are they, 20, 26 games under 500, let's call it. So if you if you go 72 and 90, that's 18 games under. Let's do some backwards math here. Uh, 70 and 92 is 22. 68 and 94. If they play 500 ball the rest of the way, I believe they'd be 68 and 94. That's amazing. And they're, by the way, not going to play a 500 ball the rest right. of the way. They're and, losing 100 games. And they're going to lose some veterans. Whether that helps or hurts remains to be seen. But the, this team's going to lose 90 games, which is amazing to me, but they're going to. They might lose 100 games. I, there's nothing stopping them, really, short of some sort of Miguel Sano return and resurgence. Uh, boy, it's hard to see this team not losing 90 no. to 100 or more games, at which point salvaging anything this year with at the expense of a long-term potential. Um, like I'm not saying RC is a blue chipper, but that you just, you make the long-term decisions this year. You give guys closing experience who might be your closer next year. You, or, or the year after that, depending on how this Perkins things breaks, but you, you don't like, I think we'd all agree. You don't go trade for a closer at the deadline. Cause you don't have a closer. Right? Brandon no. Kinsler's fine, or you filter somebody else through that. Role. And I'll make a call here. Glenn Perkins, this type of surgery would look wrong with his shoulder. And we're talking labrum damage, rotator cuff damage, and it's not something that just happened. And it's not like a strain or a tear just popped up. This is more degenerative over the course of time. You're 33, 34 yeah. years old. You've never had surgery, right? never had anything like this there's about a 20% chance you return to what you were before, which means there's an 80% chance he comes back as more of a soft-tossing lefty Hmm. who throws mostly two pitches that require velocity. Look at the difference between him throwing 95 and throwing 91. Just a slight difference in velocity, and that fastball doesn't get by hitters. The breaking ball, the slider doesn't get up on hitters as quickly. It doesn't jam hitters as much. It's just... um, he he's probably looking at looking at being either a loogie, and he's always been better against righties than lefties, anyways, which yeah. is a little bit weird for a lefty. So going forward, 
whether it's Nicholas Birdie or JT Chagua who had one outing and they sent him back down, yeah. I think it's wide open for next year. I don't, th- I don't think Perk is penciled in as the closer next year, even if he comes back healthy. Four guys is a quick segment, and we can move on to Byron Buxton because I teased that. Four guys I could see closing next year, assuming in-house, which, by the way, they could go address it out in free agency, trade, whatever. Barring that, Perkins, Ryan Presley, Trevor May, Nick Birdie. Those are four guys that I could see being having their name in the hat. Well, what about Fernando Abad? I, I think Abad's going to become what he has been. I, I, I don't foresee him being some dominant lefty emerging and taking the closer role. Which, by the way... You think he'd be Abad closer? Just say it. <laughs> how, how many times have you tried that's that about the fourth time. podcast? That's about the fourth time. Uh, it's been the I'll same reaction me. every time. I'll show myself. <laughs> Doors over there, yeah. Um, uh, Brandon Kinsler, I like his stuff. I, I mean, he actually, you would see Brandon Kinsler in spring training and think, who's that? Uh, but he throws 94. He's got a breaking ball. He gets a lot of ground balls, and I think that's helpful. I, I think he could be a reasonably effective reliever the rest of the way. And, wow, if he starts racking up some saves and the Twins can flip him at the deadline, all the better. Good for them for finding that hidden gem and getting some value out of it. But I think those are the four guys that I look at and see the combination of stuff, strikeouts, and then this sort of unquantifiable thing that I'll call like presence or or composure. Yeah, which which definitely matters. A lot in the closer spot. I don't think it matters in the eighth inning. So if you are someone who's – for example, questioning that Trevor May has that because he's crapped his pants a couple of times, including his debut, including that start in Milwaukee that lost him a starting rotation spot and basically altered his career possibly forever, uh, or then this recent string where he gave up like 10 runs in three and a third innings. If you're questioning his composure and you say, well, he can be a great eighth inning guy maybe because he strikes so many batters out, but he walks too many people and I don't trust his composure. Well, that's fine. I, I don't think I'd quibble with your assessment but just having talked with Trevor May and understanding his thought process and how he goes about getting hitters out and the kinds of things that were going on that surround either preceding or coming after uh, these these terrible streaks, um, I do. I'm I'm high on Trevor May. I'm I'm probably more bullish on him than I think a lot of people locally are. Uh, Ryan Presley's just got phenomenal stuff. You see it every once in a while. He'll tickle 99 with his fastball. That's like, whoa, where did that come from? And he's always been more of a slider curveball guy that the Twins are like, yeah, we just like his breaking pitches, and he throws mid, low to mid-90s, so maybe this will work. That's why they picked him out of the Red Sox organization in the Rule 5. Turns out he's really evolved into a different kind of power breaking ball pitcher to the the point where Terry Ryan said this week he thinks Presley's got three plus-plus pitches. Which is amazing. I mean, nobody has that. You said Terry Ryan said that? Well, hmm. all right. I see where you're getting at. You yeah. start to question the source a yeah, little listen, bit. Man, I, personally, I love Terry Ryan. He's one of the best people I've ever been around. It's really hard to take anything he says about pitching right now and take it to the bank. Sure. It just is. Sure. I like, fair. for the record, I like Ryan Presley, too. I think Ryan Presley has good stuff. And I could see him at some point being a, a really good late-inning option mm-hmm. on a good team, which Your, we won't get to see this year. Right. Your skepticism is warranted. I get it. That, yeah. That's fine. Um, but, yeah, I, just to put a bow on that, I, I agree 100%. I, in fact, I said last winter, as much as I like Perkins and as much as I am 
well aware that when he's at the top of his game, at the height of his powers, the Twins don't have a better reliever. That's just facts. But I said this winter, you've got to assign some percentage chance that he won't be that guy, uh, whether it's through injury or whatever. You just have to plan for the possibility that he won't be. Uh, the Twins didn't really plan for that unless their plan was Kevin Jepsen, in which case that plan failed more miserably than even I would have mm-hmm. predicted. Um I think they should definitely do that this year, and there's no question about it. It should be, let's operate under the assumption Perkins is not the opening day closer. Where do we go from there? How do we build a bullpen? If Perkins is back, great. That is a nice attribute to have in the bullpen. Suddenly we got a person who we expected to be the closer in whoever this other person is, and we can bump him to the eighth inning. And suddenly through bullpen chaining, you can bump everybody down a roll, and your long man or whatever, who's the seventh guy in your bullpen, or in the Twins' case, probably their eighth man, he can go pitch for the Rochester Red Wings, and that's fine. Um, meanwhile, if you don't prepare for that and you just count on Perkins being healthy, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, and the, I would say, now likely event that he doesn't hold up for a full 2017 season, you need to prepare for that possibility. Yeah, no, you, so start yeah, I, looking now. Your, your bullpen in 2017, you have to go in assuming that Perkins will not be a part of it. Yeah, and, and if he is, is, it's a nice bonus. Yeah. It's a benefit that you weren't counting on. Uh, two things I've noticed here. Byron Buxton, aside from the basically week he came back and hit a couple balls hard, hit a home run in there somewhere, yeah. has been really, really bad at the plate again. He's, yeah. he's swinging at breaking balls all over the, all over the place. But... On the on the positive side, Max Kepler, who's been taking really good at bats and maybe not seeing the results, is now seeing the results. Yeah. He's hitting lasers. He's got a couple home runs. He's getting on base. The strikeouts aren't quite what, not even close to what Buxton's are. Right. And he's drawing some walks. So I really like everything about Max Kepler right now. A couple defensive gaps, but for the most sure. part, love everything about Max Kepler. Discouraged by Buxton's stint here, and, and and keep in mind, Buxton only has about 250 career plate appearances. Yep. So we gotta you gotta let this thing play out for 500, 600, a thousand plate appearances. But the process still looks very flawed with Byron Buxton. Agreed. I am high on Kepler, and it's very obvious that he's a more advanced hitter at this stage of his career than Buxton is. And keep in mind, he's older, but still, uh, he did not have the same kind of baseball experience. Both of them were regarded as somewhat raw. I mean, Buxton played high school baseball, obviously, but it was, I think even at the time, people were saying, yeah, but he's playing in rural Georgia and he doesn't have the highest competition. Of course he's dominating. He's Mm -hmm. a future major leaguer playing against not the most superior competition. Kepler a little bit different, not a lot of baseball experience playing in Germany and then coming to the United States and kind of learning the skills and the game. And I credit the Twins for finding that kid uh, that, they thought, yeah, he'd be worth a flyer on the international market, and he could play in the big league someday. He's showing, uh, rewarding them for that signing in 2009. The same, the same winner they signed Jorge Polanco and Miguel Sano on the international market. So looking like a pretty good winner, mm-hmm. or uh, sorry, July 2nd signing period. It's looking like a pretty good summer then, I guess, for the Twins in that regard. I like Kepler a lot. I like the fact that he draws walks. I like the fact that even against tough left-handers, he's not. Um, I, I don't like the term overmatched necessarily, but he's not afraid. He can, Yeah, he might go in against a really good lefty and strike out, but it's not like, oh, boy, he had no shot there. And that's what's a little disconcerting about Buxton. I still think we let this play out. I don't want to go back and delete the podcast episode in which we said that he has superstar potential, and I, I still very much believe that. Uh, but you are getting to the point where it's like, man, 
top build prospects who've succeeded at the rate that he did in the minor leagues, which was incredible, just don't always come up and struggle this badly. Like, there's always an adjustment period. You always expect someone who's 21, 22 to be overmatched in the big leagues. Yeah. They're just better players. He's, yeah, he's, it's, it is, it's, it's becoming a red flag, it's but I don't bad. want to overstate it. Right, I agree, I agree. I am not, I'm just not burying my head in the sand and saying, Buxton will be great. You shut up with your facts and stats about yeah. his strikeouts. But uh, I do still think very good player is in there. At the very worst case scenario, he's a whiz defensively and a good base runner. By the way, he used to be just fast. I think he's becoming a better base runner. I think he's now he's a weapon stealing bases and things Small like that. Small sample size. He's sure. very rarely on base. Right, right. Uh, you can't steal first, as they say. No, if they change uh, the rules, he might have a real shot to be a superstar, though. <laughs> he and Billy Hamilton are suddenly on the fast track to Cooperstown. <laughs> Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines.